Okay, if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Please don't use your phone unless it's an Apple phone. You know, whatever you do, don't use your Samsung stuff in church because the fire, it could cause, the insurance doesn't cover that sort of stuff. Okay. Now, I'm going to talk to you about something you're very familiar with. You already know this story off by heart. You've heard it preached on a million times. So now I'm going to have a problem because as soon as I start reading this, you're going to say, I've heard this all before. But actually, I want to talk to you about it again. Uh, and you may say, well, why do you do that? Well, you know, sometimes we've got to hear things many times before we understand the depth and breadth and whole spectrum of what's going on, and sometimes we need to be reminded of things because we forget. So let's look at this again. Peter, we're told immediately, well, let's back up a little bit. In the fourth watch of the night, verse 25, uh, Jesus came walking to them on the sea, and the disciples saw him walking on the sea, and they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Uh, that wouldn't have helped me at all, actually. If I was in a boat in the middle of a storm and I saw someone across the way walking across the water, it is quite reasonable to consider that since that, that was something that was impossible and you'd never seen anybody doing it, that, that it was some sort of spiritual being, yeah, a ghost. And for that ghost to then say to them, cheer up, it's me, wouldn't have made me feel very good at all. I would be terrified. But Peter, recognizing that it was Jesus, answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And that is one of the stupidest things in the whole of the Bible. Where did he get such a ridiculous idea? You've got to, it's, that's not a natural response, is it? You see something like that, you don't say, oh, gee, I want to, uh, I, I'm going to do that as well. It's like, like you, you're nuts, guy. You're really crazy. And so Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down into the boat, uh, out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So let's think about what just happened. Jesus walking on the water towards the boat. Peter looks up and again he says, Tell me to come. Now notice he doesn't say, I'm coming, I'm getting out the boat, I'm going to have a go. Wow, this looks easy, I'm going to give this a shot. He didn't do that. He actually does something really important. He says, tell me to come. He speaks to Jesus and says, uh, look, if this is not possible unless you command it to be so. This isn't possible unless this is your will. My will doesn't achieve anything here. I can't will myself to walk upon the water. I can't think myself into it. It's not about the power of the mind or the power of faith. You have to command it, and you're the one who can command it, and then it will happen. It's, it's similar to a, a soldier asking for orders from a superior. He's saying, give me a direct order. If you order it, then it will be done. And what I see by that is that people... And, that this guy, Peter, understood in the midst of all of his problems and difficulties, the only way he could solve his problem was by appealing to an outside authority. 
that he needs to go outside of himself, outside of his abilities, outside of his circumstance, and he needs to connect with a greater authority. And he knew that that was Jesus because he says to him, Lord, Lord, and Lord Master, creator of the universe, the one with all the power, the one with all the ability, says, Lord, if you, you as the Lord of the universe command it, then it will happen. But if you don't command it, it won't happen. And the point we have to understand here is we need permission for what we want to believe in. Belief on itself doesn't work. Belief does not work. And we have to draw a distinction here because some people think, well, I've got faith. And if you've got faith, it's going to happen. No, it won't. Your faith can't do anything. Your faith can't make you grow. Your faith can't solve your problem. Your faith can do nothing. Because faith in and of itself is powerless. Whenever you see faith in the Bible, it's not just faith in the sake of faith. It's faith in God. And it's not our faith that does anything, but because we have faith in God, God does it. When Jesus said to the woman, your faith has made you whole, he doesn't mean that it was faith that made her whole, but her faith in him. Because she believed in him, he healed her. It's Jesus who does the healing. We don't believe in faith healing. We believe in divine healing. And we have to know that we just can't decide, oh, I'm going to believe for that. What you need is permission. If you don't have permission, whatever you believe for, not going to happen. And our permission comes from the Word of God. And that's why when we apply our faith, we better be very sure that we are applying faith in what the Bible says we can believe in, that we've got a promise of God, a foundation of the Word of God that is the foundation upon which we believe. And if you don't have a biblical foundation for your belief, your belief will do nothing. It's just mind, trying to be mind over matter. It does not work. So he understood. He said, I want to walk on water, but that's not going to happen unless it's your will. And whatever it is you're believing for in life, you better make sure you got a word from the Lord for it, or it's not going to happen. Because faith without the word is powerless. So he gets this interesting response from Jesus. And he's, Jesus says, to, he says, bid me to come. And Jesus says, well, like the Bible says, uh, and he said, come. And, and he said, come. It wasn't like that at all. Actually, what it means is, when he said, bid me to come on the water, Jesus said, well, come on. Come on. Come on. Get into it. It's a, it's a word of encouragement. It's not just a, a word of permission. It, it encourages. Uh, and I love to see this because it says that when we come to Jesus and we bring to him our, our desires and our aspirations in life and, and we talk to him about the things we want to do and the things we want to achieve, that Jesus just doesn't say, yeah, okay then. Okay, fair enough, whatever you want. He's not like that. He's encouraging. He says, come on, do it. Come on, step out. Come on, try something big. Come on, believe for something great. That's what he does. He encourages our faith. He's the encourager. He doesn't ridicule us because we have ideas. He doesn't say, who do you think you are? Peter, I'm the one walking on water around here, not you. You get back in that boat, boy, you know your place. Your place is in that boat. I'm the one who walks on water. You just mind yourself, boy. You stay there. Right? Just know your place, son. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, you know, and you, who are you to think that you, somebody like you could walk on water? He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all. He doesn't ridicule him because of his enthusiasm. He says, come on, let's do it. And I want to say this to you, that your dreams and your aspirations and your desires are not ridiculed by God. They're not squashed by God. He encourages your faith. 
He encourages your vision. He encourages your passion. He wants you to be enthusiastic. He wants you to believe for better things in life. He wants to bless you for better things. You don't have to beg Him for it. God wants more for you than you want for yourself. And that's why I see when Jesus is saying, come on. It's immediate. It's positive. It's instantaneous. Come on then. Let's do this. Get out the boat quick. Come on. Step into it. It's really a fantastic word that he encourages us to be people of faith. Then it says Peter got out the boat. And that's when things started both to go right and wrong at the same time. But let's think about this. Peter gets out of a boat, starts walking on the water. Now, at the moment, I want you to think. There's Jesus and there's Peter. There's two people walking on water and 11 people in the boat. Yeah? Now, if anybody else had had faith, if another disciple had had faith, could he have stepped out of the boat? Would Jesus have told him, yeah, come on, come on, come on. There could have been three people on the water. There could have been four. Matter of fact, there could have been 13 people on the water, couldn't there? Everybody could have got out the boat. They could have sort of had a bit of a party and jumped around and sung a few songs there out in the waves or whatever else. But everybody had the potential the same as Peter. Peter wasn't special. He didn't have special powers. He just had faith. And the Jesus that encouraged Peter would have encouraged all 11 others. So what you've got here is, is the fact that the others were limited not by Jesus, but by themselves. Not by the will of God, but by their own lack of faith and desire. That that boat was filled with people, actually, who would never really know what Peter experienced. That in that moment, Peter entered into something that the others would never understand. And when you read the books of Peter in the Bible, First and Second Peter, you sort of get a bit of an insight into, the, in, into Peter's thinking and his perspective of things because he had been walking on that water. He knew a thing or two about faith, Peter, because he'd stepped out while the others stayed in the boat, you see. They all could have walked on water. But you say, yeah, but they were afraid. Well, so was Peter. But Peter, you know, he put faith first. And he didn't allow the fear to control him and keep him in the boat. You see, fear and unbelief keeps them from expanding their experience in God. Fear and unbelief keeps them restricted to that boat and, and doesn't allow them to stretch themselves and stretch the boundaries of their life and their faith. And that's the same with us today. We must have a courage uh, to overcome our reluctance and our fear and our doubts that we stretch ourselves in our experience with God. Don't just settle for the way you've been doing it all the time. Don't just keep on doing the same old stuff, believe the same old things. You know, people say, well, how come we don't see many miracles in the church today? I'll tell you, because most Christians are not believing for anything outside the ordinary. They don't do it. They don't do it. And if you ask most Christians, well, okay, what is your great faith project? What are you believing for right now? What are you trusting God for? What are you really pressing into God for? What do you want to see miraculously change? They look at you with a blank look on their face and say, oh, well, nothing really. Because I tried it once and it didn't work and I have never bothered to try it again. Whereas this tells us that despite the storms of life and despite the difficulties you're facing and despite everything else and, and even the fear of failure, step out, stretch your faith, believe. And then 
you can see a miracle. But while you're in the boat, you don't see anything. Yeah? So he got out of the boat. And uh, interesting thing happens. The Bible says when he, he, he suddenly, I don't know how far he'd gone, but he suddenly saw the waves. Now, they were already there. Okay? And the, the waves, the wind, the storm was already there. And he suddenly realized, uh-oh, what have I done? Have you ever been there? Like, uh-oh, what have I done? It was all right when I bought the ticket, but now here I am, and I don't want to do it anymore. Okay? Uh-oh, what have I done? What have I done? Huh? You've committed yourself. You, you got the job. You turned up at the first day of work, and then, uh-oh, what have I done? What have I done? And he begins to sink. Now, he, he does something really interesting here because he prays one of the great prayers of the Bible. He says, Lord, save me. That's it. Now, if you talk to some of our super spiritual brothers and sisters, they will say, oh, dear Lord and heavenly Father, master of the universe, creator of all things, we come to you now in the mighty and precious, wonderful name of Jesus. He'd be dead by now, drowned, be all over. He doesn't have time for any of that nonsense, any of that religious stuff. He just says, save me. That's a great prayer, isn't it? And, and that's all you need. That's all you need. Jesus isn't counting the words and, uh, and looking for eloquence. Save me. Save me, he said. Just a short prayer. And, and the Bible says, immediately he stretched out his hand. See, he doesn't measure your prayer by its length or its eloquence. It's what comes from your heart. What's coming from your heart? And he got an immediate, instantaneous response. He stretched out his hand and picked him up out of the water. I want to tell you, look, you can all get an answer to prayer. You can all get answers to prayer. Don't listen to these people who say, here's the five keys to getting an answer to prayer. Here's the six things you have to do to move the hand of God. Here's the seven things. That, because, look, that's rubbish. You can do one thing. A cry of faith will move the hand of God for you. Amen. The cry of faith. Amen. Sincere, genuine faith in Jesus. You just cry out to him and he will come to your help. He'll reach out his hand. Lord, save me. Hmm? Master of the universe. The powerful one. See, he realized that when you're in trouble, you need a power outside of yourself. And he recognized that as Jesus. And he connected himself with that power outside of himself. And by doing so, he's saying, I can't do it. I'm too weak. I'm too feeble. Uh, I just can't do this. But you have all the power that's necessary. You, Lord, you're the one. You save me. What he didn't do is what so many Christians do today. Which is, God, I'm, trying, I'm going to start swimming now. And I need you to help me. Yeah? I need you to help me, God. Just help me, God. Just, you know, just, just come alongside. I'll do it all. And, and I need you to bless it. Isn't that what happens? You're going to go for a job. You ring up. You get the job. You get the appointment. You do the, all the stuff. You go there. You, and, and as you go into the interview, you're saying, God, just bless it. Just bless it. Because you have to do all the work. And God has to do a little blessing at the end. See? And we think that's all right. And so when we get the job, we say, I got a job. Well, yeah, I asked God to bless me. But he didn't do anything. I mean, I do it all. And I just asked him for his little blessing, and he gave me this little blessing at the end. What are we doing with God? What sort of person do we think he is? What sort of person? We have relegated God to, to a small God who gives little blessings in 
big trouble and difficult situations. It's rubbish. You're not praying to God when you, ask, when you talk to God like that. I don't know what you're praying to, but it isn't God. God's not the one who gives little blessings to you after, you after you break your heart and struggle and strain your guts out and try and get something, and then he's the one who gives the little blessing. That's not God. God's the one that moves heaven and earth. God's the one that rides upon the ocean. God's the one that makes a path where there is no path. God's the one that will give you breakthrough and deliverance. And, and he'll break through into your life and bring provision to you. He's the Jehovah Jireh, the one that provides everything. We go to him. We don't say bless it. We say provide it. We don't say bless my efforts. We say, God, just put them all aside and break through and do great things, greater than we can ever do. Amen? That's what we need to be doing. That's what Peter's doing. He's not going to say, right, I'm going to start swimming now. I don't want you to bless me so I can get back to the boat. He says, help me. And God broke through and gave him miraculous help. The thing that happens next has always been a puzzle to me. Because I've heard so many preachers say that Jesus rebuked him and say, oh, you of little faith. There is not a translation anywhere in the world that uses that phrase rebuke. There isn't one. I've looked at hundreds of them. It's certainly not in the original language. And no translator translated that he was rebuked. I don't know where preachers have got the idea from that Jesus was rebuking him. He wasn't. There's no rebuke when Jesus says to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? In fact, it's the opposite. You, could, you really should see Jesus with a smile on his face. That he's amused. Wouldn't you be amused? It is amusing. Here's this guy with all this bluster and all called to me, and he gets out the boat, and then he gets a little way, and suddenly he realizes what he's done. Uh-oh. And he starts to sink. And Jesus got a big smile on his face and says, Oh, you of little faith, and pulls him up again. The problem is with the phrase, Oh, you of little faith, because we've really grossly misunderstood it. We think that little faith means that he didn't have much faith at all that he had a small amount of faith. And by doing that, we think that you, what you have is you have people with little faith and you have people with big faith, right? In the next chapter, Jesus speaks to a woman uh, who's come for the healing of her daughter. And he says to her, woman, you have great faith. Yeah. So in this chapter, you have Peter who has little faith. And the woman in the next chapter is a woman with great faith. And so we think, wow, this woman's got big faith. And Peter's got little faith. And that's nonsense. Because there's nowhere in the Bible that tells you actually faith is big or small. Matter of fact, the reverse. Jesus said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, be removed, and it'll be cast into the sea. If he says that, why is he saying to Peter, you've got little faith and there's something wrong with it? Little faith, there's nothing wrong with little faith that can move a mountain. So he wasn't talking about the size of faith, right? How, whether it was big or short. Like the idea, if you translate it literally, is that he was a, when it comes to faith, he was a midget. And, and the woman, when it came to faith, she was a giant. And that's nonsense, isn't it? Because the Bible never tells you anywhere how you can get bigger faith. Have you ever found a scripture that tells you how, how your faith can be bigger? It's not there. So if Jesus said you've got small faith and she's got big faith, it would only be fair for him to tell us how to get bigger faith. But he never tells us how to get bigger faith because you can't get bigger faith. Can you? 
Because let me say to you, the Bible says that to every man is given the measure of faith. So you already have it. You already have faith. You possess faith right now. You, if you did not have faith, you would not be able to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because it's not by works, but by grace. Amen? And that is the gift of faith which God has given you to accept Jesus Christ. So you already have all the faith you need for your miracle. You don't have to get more. How do you get more faith? You can't get more faith. You either have it or you don't have it. But we have all this preaching about, this teaching about, you've got to have more faith. More faith? There's no such thing as more faith. You either have it or you don't. It's not like a thing that you can have more of. It's not like money where you can have more of it or food where you can have more of it or water where you can have more of it. It's not like that. You don't get more of it. You either got it or you don't have it. You're either using it or you're not. So what is he saying? Because you've got one person with little faith and you've got next chapter person with great faith and we've misunderstood this by quantifying the faith and making it look like you can have a lot or a little or big or small and the Bible doesn't back that idea up at all. So what did he say? Look at the two stories. In the second story of the woman, you remember the story? She comes to Jesus. She's got a sick daughter, and she says, Jesus, heal my daughter. And he says to her, I haven't come for you Gentile people. I've come only for the Jews. She says, yes, but Lord, even the dogs can eat the crumbs from the table. And he gives her a hard time. Three times he says to her, no, 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 I'm going to. And in the end, he says to her, okay then, woman, you have great faith. She persisted three times. So he's not saying that her faith is bigger. He's saying it's persistent. She did not give up. Great faith is a faith that doesn't quit. It's not great in quantity, it's great in its quality of persistence. That is the true nature of faith. You see, faith believes and continues to believe despite all opposition, despite everything seeming to be the contrary. Faith continues to believe. That's the real nature of faith. And when you have good, healthy faith, when you have great faith, a great quality of faith, you don't stop believing. You persist and you believe and you believe and you believe and you believe and you keep on believing. And every story in the Bible, every man and every woman of faith is a story of persistent faith. In the face of opposition, they believe. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament. They said, we will not bow down and our God will deliver us. But if not... We still won't bow down to you. We still won't bow down to you. That's persistent faith. Do you remember Job? Though, my, you know, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I'm going to keep on believing no matter what's going on in my life. I will not stop believing. I'm going to persist and persist and persist and persist until I have my breakthrough. That's the great faith the Bible talks about. Persistent, continuous faith. Compare that to Peter. He got out, he went a few meters, and clunk, he stopped believing. That's it. He had little faith because he didn't persist. He needed to continue to believe. 
if he had continued to believe, he would have continued to walk. And if he continued to believe and continued to walk, he would never have sunk. And he would have had great faith too because his faith would have persisted despite the opposition, despite the things he saw, despite the fear in his heart. Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? The idea was he had faith, but then he allowed doubt to enter and his faith stopped operating. And that's what happens to us, isn't it? So how many times have we started on a path of faith? We believe for something, want to see something achieved. We've got a problem. We begin to believe for it. And we start down that pathway. Oh, yeah, we've got the word. We've got the promise of God. We're going to believe. We know that God can do it. We're just believing in that. And we're just walking down that path. And suddenly we see something. Or suddenly we experience something. And suddenly doubt enters into our heart. And we give up. We stop. When you stop, nothing happens. You're finished. You're finished. You've lost a tremendous opportunity. But that woman, when she went there, she, she, she went to Jesus. And I, I, you can almost read her mind. I'm not going to leave till he heals my daughter. You know that? I don't care what happens. I'm not going till he heals my daughter. If he doesn't heal my daughter, I'm going to bother this man all night long. Isn't that what Jesus tells you about the widow who persisted and persisted with the judge? Doesn't he tell you that about the woman with the issue of blood who said, I will touch the hem of his garment, and if I touch him, I will be made whole. I will, I will, pushing through a crowd. And how many times she was stepped on? I don't know. How many times she was abused? I don't know. Until she touched the blind men on the side of the road who kept, who cried and kept on crying. And they said, shut up. And they shouted even louder. See, persistence is the true quality of the heart of faith, you know. Not one-off. You don't come and say, well, I believe that was it, you know. I, I, I came to church, the pastor prayed for me, that's it. If it happens now, it's the will of God. And if it doesn't happen, that's not the will of God. And you walk away and you have little faith. Because you won't persist, 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 persist in faith. I'm going to tell you right now something you probably should have figured out. You will almost never get an answer to prayer immediately the time you pray it. God will begin to work immediately you begin to pray it. But the result takes some time to come about. And when you stop praying, you sort of freeze the process that was in place to bring you the result. You, you stop it before it comes about. But if you keep on believing, you're believing because you, you, you're saying, God has started to work here. God is starting to do something. He started to work and he's going to finish it. And he's initiated something. And I'm going to pray until I come to see it in reality. I'm going to see the fruit of it. I'm going to see it break through into my life. I'm going to see it become a reality in my experience. And I'm going to keep on praying till that happens. It's not I prayed and nothing happened so God didn't hear me. That is so full of doubt. And misunderstanding, it's I prayed, God heard me just like he said he would, God responded just like he said he would, and I just have to wait for this thing to work its way out into my experience, and I'm going to keep on praying till it becomes a reality. Amen? How long was it since the time that God gave Abraham the promise that he would have a son to the time he had a son? Nine months? Doesn't take a genius to figure it out, does it? It takes time. When God made promises to people in the Old Testament, it took time. 
It took time for David to become a king. It took time for Joseph's dream to become a reality. It takes time for these things to happen. It isn't that God's promise isn't going to come to pass. It isn't that he's forgotten or that he's even said no. It takes time and we persist in belief with this. So most Christians' lives are littered with dead dreams. Cast off prayers. Things they had faith for that they no longer have faith for. And it's why most Christians are so negative, pessimistic, down in the mouth. Because they actually have come to the conclusion, what's the point of believing nothing happens? When in actual fact, something was happening, you just stopped believing it. So see, if I come to your house and you say you're going to cook this lovely meal and you stick it in the oven. And then you look in there after five minutes and nothing's happened, so you turn the oven off. How long do we have to wait now? And the point is, it's never going to happen. Don't get mad at me. Or don't get mad at the electricity company. Or don't get mad at your recipe book if you switch the oven off. You keep believing, it keeps cooking. Okay? It keeps cooking until it comes to reality. But so many of our dreams and our, and our plans and, and our faith, we've switched it off before it had a chance to come to fruitfulness. My wife's a gardener in our house. I'm the gardener's assistant. I dig holes where I'm told. I lift up heavy things and put them in holes, and then I go away, okay? I bring bags of manure, and I go away, all right? I'm, I'm good at, the, at that sort of thing. But if I touch anything, it dies, okay? It, it just dies. And my wife tells me that. Leave it alone, Alan, otherwise it's not going to grow. So it's all right. But one time she wanted a vegetable plant. Plot. So I thought, well, I'll do this. I can do this. So I dug up a vegetable plot and I put a garden th- thing around the outside. See, and we went down and we bought all these veggies and, and stuff. And, and uh, I said, I want to grow potatoes. She says, well, you can't grow potatoes because you don't never get enough to sort of, you'll only get a couple of meals, a few meals out of the potatoes. I, I want to grow potatoes. She said, okay, all right, you grow your potatoes. She's growing her herbs and her carrots and all that sort of stuff, you know. And I put my potatoes in. And uh, I go out, and the potatoes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then suddenly I realize, how do you know? How do you know when a potato's ready? And, and, and I'm not known for lots of patience, you see. So I'd go out there every second day and have a look. Well, they look big enough, don't they? You think something that size, bound to have something maybe going on the same size underneath. So. I pulled the potato plant out and had a look, and just these windy little things in, so I put it back in, and then, then I said, oh, okay. You know, well, that's what you do, don't you? You open the oven, and you stick the fork in, and you have a look, and you say, oh, it's not ready yet, and so bang, I thought we'll do it. Potatoes, what's the difference, you know? So after a few weeks, I go out, and I notice the one I pulled out the ground and put back in is it's dying. So I thought, oh, something wrong with that one. I said, but the others will be all right, so I pull it out, and I put it back in. So you know the end of the story. I didn't get any potatoes. And my wife said, there's a strange thing happening with your potatoes. I noticed, she says, I noticed that they're dying one by one, which confirmed her theory that anything I plant dies, okay? So it's just confirmation of what she already knew. And she's saying to me, it's amazing. You plant potatoes and even they die. Anybody can grow potatoes. And I said, well, um, how do you know when they're ready? She says, oh, well, you know, and, and um, um, I didn't understand I said, because I've been pulling them up and having a look. And she said, you what? You what? You silly guy. 
Because see, as soon as you just do this, it's dead. And that's the way it is with some people's faith. They, they just give up after a while. They won't let it come to full fruit. They won't let it grow into fullness. They, 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 they start, you know, you didn't give it to me by Christmas like I told you you should. You didn't do what I wanted when I wanted it and how I wanted it. How dare you do that, God? I'm not going to believe in you anymore because you didn't do it on time. Your time? You mean your time? I want to point out something to you. God doesn't have a watch. And sadly, neither does he have a calendar. Because he's not in this world. In his world, there is no time, no calendar. A thousand years, he says, uh, as with the Lord, a day. Okay? Because he created time. Time is a creation of God, just as you are. So he's outside of this, not subject to time. He is not a servant of time like you are. You're a servant of time. You can't stop the clock. You can't run the clock backwards. You can't run it forward. And you certainly can't manage it like they make all that money telling you how to manage time as if you can manage time. What are you going to say to the clock? Slow down. I need another five minutes. It can't be done. Huh? You can manage yourself, but you can never manage time. But God is not a servant of time. And when we measure things by the clock and the calendar, it's no wonder we get upset with God because he doesn't have either clock or calendar. He's not looking at the time. He's looking at doing it right. Isn't that it? I'm looking at the time for the potatoes, but a gardener's not looking at the time. He's looking at, well, however long it takes, that's how long it takes for a potato to grow. And we're not going to pull it up and say, that's enough. You've had two months. Let's see what's happening. Because when you do that, you kill things. And that's what you did with your dream. And that's what you did with your desire and what you had faith for. It killed it. It killed it because you wouldn't persist. killed it because you gave up before it was fully cooked. You gave it away. You didn't persist. Your faith was small. But if you'll have the faith of the woman and say, I'm going to persist. You know, God, I'm not going to give up. I'm just going to keep on believing. If that takes the rest of my life, I'm just going to keep on believing. I'm going to believe until it becomes a reality. If that's what you do, then you're going to see God do some amazing things in your life. Amen? Some amazing things. So don't let your fears, your doubts, and your questions hold you back. Realize that you have an outside authority and an outside power in God. And in, here, in the Word of God has given you permission to believe for great things. And He wants you to believe for great things. That's His plan for you to believe for great things. And look into his word and see the great things that you can believe for. But when you begin to exercise your faith, don't start and stop. Keep believing. Amen. Keep on believing. Keep on believing. Keep on believing. And if you will persist, then God will give you the breakthrough that you are seeking. That's what I learned from this passage of Scripture. And I want to encourage you to refire your faith. Hmm? To rekindle it again. Switch the oven back on. Get it all going again. Hmm? Start replanting dreams in your life. Begin to say, and I, I'm going to believe until it comes to pass. You don't have to make a big fuss about it. You don't have to go around telling everybody and making a big, big song and dance about it. You just in your heart say, I'm going to believe till this becomes a reality. Amen. I'm going to keep on believing until I see this thing come to pass. And then one day you will be like Joseph, who the Bible says, and he remembered his dream. 
because he saw it come to pass before his eyes. And then he remembered, yes, that's it. Took a lifetime, but I'm seeing it happen right now. That can happen to you if you persist in your belief. You say you don't understand. I say I think I do. You say you don't know what I've been through. I say no, but I've been through something else. We're all in the same boat. Yeah. But we've all got the same Jesus. And faith works the same for all of us. Amen. So I'd like you to bow your heads with me right now. Lord, I thank you that when we believe, you begin to answer. That as we believe, Father, you are going to begin to work. We thank you for that right now. I know that there are people here, Lord, with broken dreams. Lord, people who have abandoned hope. People who have been discouraged by doubt. I know that, Lord. It's our human condition. But, Lord, I just pray for every one of us right now that we would refresh and renew our faith in you and believe again for great things. That we would renew our faith in those things that we have abandoned and forgotten. That we would renew our hope in you, Father, as the one that can bring blessing and breakthrough and provision into our life right now. And we come to you again, Lord, and refresh and renew our hope in you right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, if you're doing that right now, if you're renewing and refreshing your hope in him right now, and if you're saying, yeah, God, I'm going to take this up and I'm going to believe and I'm going to hold tight to faith and I'm going to stand upon the promise of your word and I'm going to believe until I have a breakthrough. If that's you right now, I want you to respond to God. I want you to say, God, that's me. Now, it's not important for me to see this, but it's important for you to do it with God. There needs to be some, some commitment, some sense of connection right now. So I want you to raise your hand and say, that's me, God. I'm making a faith connection with you again tonight. I'm renewing that faith. I'm believing for that again. I'm trusting you right now. I'm believing for a breakthrough. I'm believing for provision. I'm believing for health. Believing for wholeness. I'm believing for healing, Father. I'm believing for it right now. That's it. Hands going up all over the place. Believe right now. Just take a hold of that promise of God right now. That whatsoever, whatsoever, whatsoever you ask, in the name of Jesus, it will be yours. Amen. Just keep believing for it right now. Father, I thank you for every hand that's raised. Everyone a miracle happening right now. Everyone a life being transformed. Everyone, Father, a promise of God being fulfilled right now. We hold on and we continue to believe until we have breakthrough and blessing right now. Now, Father, put your hand upon every one of these people, upon every circumstance and every situation that's represented with every raised hand. And may there be a miraculous move of God beginning now Father, and not ceasing until they've seen breakthrough and blessing in their life. I thank you for it, Father. We receive it as a reality right now and give you praise for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And all the people of God said, Amen. 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 Thank you. I think I better stop now because it's supper time and I'm hungry and I need a cup of tea. So thank you, Pastor Rob. God bless you. Amen. <laughs>